are listening to the teaching ministry of Queen City First Baptist Church, where friends become family. For more information, log on to www.fbcqc.org. Have your copy of the Word of God this morning. You'll turn with me to the book of Galatians, Galatians chapter 4. We uh, started a series uh, some five weeks ago now called Identity. And uh, with that, we're asking a very important question. Who do you think you are? Who do you think you are? How are you filling in the blank? I am blank. I hope that you've been giving some thought to that over the last few weeks. Who are you? How would you fill in that blank today? I am blank. You see, Satan wants us to fill in that blank with uh, the things that should not identify us. He wants uh, our identity to be performance-based. He says, what you do determines who you are. And so we set out on this, uh, uh, this quest to, to do certain things in order to become someone. God says, by his grace, who you are determines what you do. And in this series, we've been looking specifically at who we are in Christ Jesus. Who we are in Christ Jesus. Now, there are a lot of things that we could put in that blank that would maybe uh, help explain us. The different roles that we play. I'm a pastor. I'm a dad. I'm a, I'm a husband. I'm a, all of those different things. But those should not be my identity. While those things are true of me, and I'm not diminishing the importance of the roles that you play in life, uh, but those things should not be what forms your actual identity as a person because sometimes those things change. If your entire identity is wrapped up in something that you do, what happens when you really don't do that anymore? You don't do it in the same way. If your whole identity is wrapped up in being a parent, what happens when the, when the nest is empty? You say, well, I don't stop being a parent. No, that's, that's true. But, but your function as a parent changes dramatically uh, as life progresses. And certainly we see that in the different cycles and stages of life. Who are you? We have learned some big truths by way of review. If you've not been with us through this series of messages, I want to review a couple of things that I believe are very important as a foundation to what we've been learning in this series of messages. We've discovered that your identity is received, it's not achieved. Again, that goes back to the fact that our identity is not, uh, is not discovered because of something that we do or something that we achieve or I've got to reach a certain level of success or I've got to climb the corporate ladder or I've got to, I, I, I've got to do something in order to find myself or to find my identity. No, your identity is actually received. It's received from God. And he tells us in uh, the first pages of Scripture that he created us in his image, in his likeness. And so our identity is received and it's not achieved. We're created. In that first message, kind of laying the foundation for this series, we discover not only are we created, but we're highly favored. Uh, we're not just uh, animals that have evolved to a greater degree. No, no, we're above created beings. Scripture tells us there in Genesis that we're to, to subdue and have dominion over the, the beasts of the field and over, over the creation, animal life, plant life, all of those things. But at the same time, we're not God. And that's where we get out of balance many times. People think, well, I, I've, got to, I've got to try to elevate myself to God's level or I've got to somehow bring God down to my level. And so that's what Satan did. He had an identity issue, didn't he? He said in heaven, he said, I, I want to be like God. I want to be above God. And that's when he became Satan. That's when he became Lucifer. 
all about identity. And the second big truth that we've learned in this series of messages is just that Satan wants us to commit identity idolatry. He wants us to put things in that blank that don't belong in the blank. He wants us to worship who we are in in the eyes of of our fellow man. He he wants our identity to be found in what we do, in our performance, in our possessions. I've got to have certain things in order to be something or to be somebody or to be perceived as somebody. That's all identity idolatry. That's all it is. So we've discovered that uh, we don't have to live that way. We've also discovered that we all have trash in our past, past mistakes, past failures, things that we're not proud of. We all have trash in our past, but we don't have to live in it. We don't have to live in that trash. And with that, we filled in the blank with the important word, I am forgiven. I'm forgiven. Your identity does not have to be the things that you've done that you're not proud of, uh, your moral failures, all of those things that make up your trash. You don't have to live in the trash bin. You don't have to be Oscar the Grouch, okay? We're forgiven. We're forgiven in Christ. There's another great truth that we've learned in this series of messages. Insecurity will cause your identity to be formed by other people's expectations. And in that message, we talked about how insecurity leads to people-pleasing and posturing and, and peer pressure and all of those things. And so all of the things that we do in order to try to find ourselves are all wrapped up in what other people think of us. We become consumed with our reputation and we, we, we become consumed with, with how we're perceived in the eyes of, of those around us. That's what dictates what we do, what we buy, where we go, how, how, all of those different things. And so with that, we filled in the blank, I am secure. In Christ, I'm secure. I'm secure in who I am. In Christ. Last week, we learned that we are to daily put off our old identity while we put on our new identity. That's really the essence of this series of messages. Once you have placed your faith and trust in Christ, you are to assume a new identity. But daily, you have to put off the old man, the old self, that old sinful nature and those things that rise up, well up within us. And it happens daily. Well, that, that anger, what flares up, that, that selfish pride, it flares up, that, that, that lust, that all of those various things, they, they, they flare up on us. So we have to daily put off the old man while we put on the new. And it's, it's not, hey, pick one or the other. You've got to do both. You've got to put off the old while you put on the new. Who's the new man? Well, that's, that's, that's the new man that's in Christ. And so with that, we filled in the blank, I am new. I want you to notice something about many of these identity statements that we've been looking at. You'll find a principle true in Scripture. There is always the indicative that leads to the imperative. The indicative is God says this about you. God says this about me. This is who I am. He makes strong identity statements throughout his word about our identity in Christ, who we are in Christ, uh, that we're forgiven, that we're new, that we're all of these various things that we've been talking about. Those, Those are indicative. And the indicative leads to the imperative. He is saying, in light of this, this is how you should live. In light of this truth, this is the imperative. This is how you should live out of that identity. There it is again. God says, who you are determines what you do. The indicative determines the imperative. And so it's not enough to just know these truths. It's not enough to just say, well, yeah, that's great. I'm forgiven. Yeah, that's great. You've got to live out of that identity. 
You've got to apply that to your life every day where you live. And so today, we're going to fill in the, the blank with a very important word. In fact, one of Paul's uh, favorite terms uh, as he describes the believer, those who are in Christ today. I am adopted. I am adopted. And so let's look at Galatians chapter 4. We're going to look at verses 4 through 7. Of course, uh, this is one of Paul's letters to the church at Galatia. And he says in verse number four, but when the fullness of the time had come. How many of you know that God's always on time? He's not going to be early. He's never late. He's always on time. And that's what that statement tells us. But when the fullness of the time had come, at the perfect time, God sent forth his son, born of a woman. That's the incarnation. But you also find in that simple statement there, Son of God, that's his deity, but then you also see Son of Man, born of a woman, born under the law, verse 5, to redeem. That's the pregnant term in this entire section of Scripture right here, the word redeem. Redemption. To redeem those who were under the law that we might receive, here it is, the adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent forth the Spirit of his Son into your hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. I am adopted. This brings us to the important subject of what is often referred to as eternal security. Eternal security. It's a pretty hot topic today. In fact, I saw some posts just recently on Facebook. Somebody asking, hey, do you believe that a person can lose their salvation? Now, I've preached in a lot of different settings. I've preached uh, uh, among a lot of different denominations and, and, different, and various groups who have different beliefs on some of these issues and different things. And, and I've got dear friends in different camps and stuff, dear friends that would not necessarily identify themselves as Baptist. And, and we're still very, very dear friends and, and, and can do ministry together and do ministry together and all of those things. But, but, but often this comes up in our conversation uh, most of the time, it's, uh, it's uh, in a little bit of fun. Uh, but at the same time, we have some serious discussions on these things. And, and a lot of times, it'll go something like this. Man, you Baptist, you believe once saved, always saved. And so that means once you're saved, then you can just go out and live however you want to. And it don't matter. That is so not what we believe. That is so not what we believe in any way, shape, or form. In fact, Scripture makes it crystal clear. If you think that you can be saved and then just go out and live however you want to, you ain't saved. (laughs) You're just not saved. You don't get it. See, Jesus Christ doesn't just want to be your Savior. He wants to be your Lord. He wants to be your Lord. And so it's not as if he says, hey, I tell you what, we got a couple of options here. You can choose option A, where I'm just your savior, and I'll get you out of hell. I'll give you a get-out-of-hell-free card and everything. But then you can just go on and live like the devil. How about that? Or we've got plan B, where I'll be your savior, and I'll be your Lord. I'll take control of your life. And, 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 and my principles and my precepts and my word will dictate what you do each day and how you live your life and the decisions you make. And you'll run all of those decisions through the, through the funnel of my word. And, and, and my Holy Spirit is implanted within you to bear witness with your spirit that you're my child. And it's not like that. Now, in fact, I don't even like the terminology once saved, always saved. In fact, you'll rarely ever hear me use that terminology. I believe it's like this. Once you are truly saved, you are always truly saved. Because I've even had questions. I I mean, I've been in in ministry long enough to know that there have been people who've walked down an aisle and they've filled out a card and they've shaken my hand and and I've shared scripture with them and all those various things. And 
Boy, boy, then you look up six months, 18 months, two years later, and it's like, where are they? Nothing to do with the things of God. Never in church. Never doing things that would be indicative of a Christian's life or anything. And someone would say, well, well, lo and behold, they've, they've lost their salvation. Now, I would say that they were never truly saved. They were never truly saved. Once you're truly saved, you are always truly saved. That's what this adoption thing is all about. Now, the Bible compares adoption to the gospel. He says here, we were once sons of disobedience. Remember, that's the old you. Sons of disobedience given to those things. That was your identity. That's what you were wrapped up in. That's how you were, that's how you recall all of those various things. Okay, that, that, sons of disobedience. But now, sons, daughters, heirs with Christ through the payment, through the redemption of Christ on the cross. Now right here, some have a little bit of a struggle. Be very careful that you do not judge God, your heavenly father, by the standards of your earthly father. A lot of people have a difficult time uh, wrapping their brain around this concept that God is our father. Maybe you're here this morning and, and, and right now you're thinking back to, to your dad. Maybe dad wasn't the greatest guy on earth. Maybe you're here this morning and, and, and dad walked out on you when you were little bitty. There may be some here today, you don't even really know your dad. Some of you grew up with what we might call it deadbeat dad. And so for you, it's a bit difficult to, to fathom or to understand God as father. And so what I want you to do today is understand God is a loving, gracious, merciful Father who loves you and loves you unconditionally. There's nothing that you could do to make Him love you less. There's nothing you can do to make Him love you more. And He demonstrated that love for you and for me through what we call redemption. Redemption is a, is a term that was used in the old slave market. It means literally to buy off the auction block. To buy back and to set free is literally what it means. That's why scripture uses the kind of terminology that we see here. We are slaves to sin. And so it, through his finished work on Calvary's cross, he bought us off the slave market of sin and set us free. That's what redemption is. That's what it means to be redeemed. Now, uh, this whole adoption thing, we have some very, very dear friends um, it's in fact, some of our dearest friends on earth, we worked with them in ministry for a number of years. And in fact, I got a phone call just uh, two or three weeks ago from a young lady. Uh, she's now a senior in college, I believe in Tennessee. And, um, she called, she said, uh, she calls me uncle Mike. She says, uncle Mike, do you think you could do my wedding next June? I said, I'd be honored to do your wedding. I would be thrilled to. I, I know her fiance. I know the family that he comes from. Uh, they're ministry partners in different things. His dad's a pastor in Mississippi. In fact, preached for him a, a couple of years ago for a roundup Sunday. Just great, great couple. But, but the thing that makes this relationship special is that I got to be a part of her placement ceremony. 19, 20, 21 years ago, I'm not sure exactly how old she is now, but I, I was asked by her family to come down to Parkland Hospital in Dallas. We went down into, the, into the, one of these back corridors to a, a little chapel there at Parkland Hospital. And on one side of me stood her birth parents. On the other side stood our dear friends, her adoptive parents. And I stood in the middle. 
I'll never forget as that little chapel was just flooded with various emotions. You, you, you've got this young couple over here who's crying because they're giving up their newborn baby, knowing that they can't provide for this child. They can't be the kind of parents that they need to be to this child. And so it, through a, this, this whole process, God had led them to give up their baby for adoption. And so they placed that precious little child in my hands. And I held her and I prayed over her. And I prayed, God, thank you. Thank thank you for adoption. And thank you that in you we are adopted. We were sons and daughters of disobedience, but we've been adopted. And then I turned and I placed that little bundle into the arms of her adoptive parents, our dear friends. What a day. What a thrill to think of that. Now, now you've got to understand something. In biblical times, adoption didn't happen quite like that typically. If someone was adopted in biblical times, it was usually later on in life. Now, today, that's kind of a foreign concept. Most people, if if they're going to be adoptive parents, they want to adopt a baby because they want to train that child up. They want to nurture that child. They want to raise that child to embrace their values and their morals and their all of those various things. And so that's something that we understand. Hey, in biblical times, it didn't typically happen that way. If someone was adopted, they were much older. And so if you adopted somebody, check this out, you knew about their trash. You already knew about their trash. You already knew about their past. You knew about their baggage. You knew about some of those things. And so it was, a, it was a, a different kind of deal in biblical times. Got to wonder today. In, in our relationship with God, He calls us here adopted. That's a strong identity statement adopted. Adopted into the family. And, and you'll notice there that, that we're heirs of God through Christ. Scripture says we're joint heirs with Christ. Fully a part of the family. When I was growing up, we used to sing it at my home church regularly. I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God. That's why we say brother and sister around here. Why is that? Probably sounds a bit foreign to to those who don't understand the, the theological truths here. It's because we're brothers and sisters in Christ. In Christ. We're we're heirs, we're joint heirs with Christ. Because we're adopted into the family. Now, does God want us to have assurance of our adoption? Or of our salvation? I believe that Satan comes along and Satan wants us to believe. He wants us to believe that our salvation is more akin to a carrot out on a stick. You ever seen the donkey pulling a wagon? You know, and the the, the farmer would, you know, have a long stick and a string and a carrot hanging out on it. That's to keep that donkey motivated and moving forward, you know. I think that's what Satan wants us to believe about our salvation. That God's got some kind of proverbial stick out there and he's got this juicy carrot hanging on it that we call salvation. And so it's just kind of always out of our grasp. And we can never really be certain that we've got it. We're never really sure about that relationship. Now, let me ask you this. How many of you have ever at any point in your Christian life, those of you who've placed your faith and trust in Christ, have ever had doubts about your salvation? I mean, I got my hand up, all right? That's pretty much all of us. I mean, there are times that, that, that well, you know, you're clicking along and things are going all right, but then, boom, it's just like something happens and well, maybe you give in to some temptation here or there. You, 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 you give in here you get, and then you start thinking, well, I, I just don't, I, I just don't, I don't, I don't feel... Like, like I'm saved. 
It's kind of uncertain. That, that is exactly where Satan wants you to live. He wants you to live in that identity. It's like being on shaky ground. Now, there was a day, a good while back, when I could enjoy ice skating. I remember going to the gallery in Dallas or to one of the big malls over there that had an ice skating rink, and I could enjoy strapping on a pair of ice skates. I could get around that ice pretty good. Today, that would be a different story. If I was to go and strap on a pair of those crazy ice skates today, I guarantee you it would be anything but graceful. All right? It would be anything but beautiful. All right? it, it, it would be to, that's exactly the way that Satan wants us to live in our relationship with God. He wants us to feel as if, man, we're always on, on, on some kind of slippery slope. Or we're always about to, he's got, he's got us convinced that, that, that it's just something that's always outside of our reach. Satan wants us to chase that proverbial carrot on a stick by our performance. By our performance. Understand this, salvation happens in a moment. When you've placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you've taken that bold step of faith and you've said, Lord Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. I know that I cannot save myself. I know that there is nothing I could do to save myself. I can't possibly be good enough. And so I am relying fully, completely, totally upon you and your finished work at Calvary on my behalf. I turn from my sin to you. That happens in a moment. You will never be more saved than you are in that moment. But that begins a progression, right? That, 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 that's where the pursuit begins. The pursuit of what? The pursuit of godliness and Christ-likeness and all those things. And so do you understand the tension that's here? Satan comes along and says, well, well you, you're not doing real good in this whole thing, are you? <laughs> and that's why the Bible says that he loves to cast doubt. Cast doubt. And so there are some things I want us to understand based on the truths that we've seen here in Galatians. Very important. Number one, live with assurance. Live with assurance. Now when we say assurance, I want you to understand, that assurance has nothing to do with your performance or my performance. If you're going to live your Christian life with assurance, it's not as if you're going around going, boy, aren't I good. Aren't I awesome. Look at what I've been doing. Look at my track record. That's why the Bible says in Ephesians, it's by grace that you're saved through faith. That not of yourselves, it's the gift of God. It's not of works, why? Lest any man should boast. If it was about me, if it was about you, if it was about our performance, then what do you think we would do? We would strut around like a proud peacock half the time. I've achieved it. I got the carrot. Because I've been good. Because I've been amazing in my Christian walk. No, it's, it's not based upon anything that you or I have done. No, it's based upon what Jesus Christ has done. That's where our assurance is. It, it's kind of like this. In this whole concept and idea of us being adopted, okay? Sons, daughters, f- heavenly father. You know, w- one of the things that, that kids have to learn at a very early age and that we try to teach them is that they can trust mom and dad, right? And sometimes early on, they have some difficulty with that. I'll give you an example. Let's say you've got a little one in your house, and they've never really been apart from mom and dad for very long, maybe at all. And finally, that evening comes when mom and dad can go out on a date without the baby. And grandma and grandpa come over, and they're very gracious and more than happy to, to, to watch the grandbaby. And, and so you get to go out. But, 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 but what happens many times as you're about to leave? 
I mean, I mean if, if they're a little bit older now, I'm not talking about an infant when, you know, it's, I'm, I'm talking about, you know, when they're old enough to kind of understand, mommy and daddy are leaving me right now. Well, you try to assure, Addy, trust me, mommy and daddy are going to come home. We're going to come back, baby. I promise we're not going to be gone forever. Hey, 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 one evening is one thing. Well, you can tell, Addie, guess what? Mommy, Dad, we're going to come back in just two or three hours. Try going to Israel for 10 days. <laughs> Addie, we're going to come back in a week and a half, baby. Now, now what, what do you suppose I, 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 it would have been like if I had said, Addie, I tell you what, Mommy and Daddy are going to come back after we finish touring Israel and everything. We're going to come back. Or maybe we're not. You see, if you don't behave, we're not coming back. If you're not good for grandma and grandpa, we're not coming back. What, 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 what kind of fear do you think that would put in, in my little daughter's heart and in her mind? What, what, what in the world? Wait, 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 wait. I, I thought, Daddy, that you, you're my, you, your love for me was unconditional. And it is. I, I might be disappointed if you misbehave for 10 days straight, but I'm still going to come back, baby. And I'm still going to hug you. And I'm still going to love you. You might have to swatch you, but I, I still love you. You see, that's a, can, can you just imagine if, if, if the same was true in my, my relationship with my wife? Can you imagine if throughout my day I was texting my wife or calling, hey, babe, hey, hey, do we still have a relationship? Oh, okay, good. Oh, that's good to know. Okay. Two hours later, I'm texting, hey, babe, I, I know two hours you told me, do we still have a relationship? We still married? I get home in the evening. Hey, babe, I, I know I've been, I've, been, I've been gone all day. I've been at the office. I've been, where I've been visiting the hospital. I've been, but I, I just wonder, do we still have a relationship here? Are we, are we still good? What kind of a relationship would that be? Do you see why Satan would love for you to be in that place? To be living out of that identity with that uncertainty and that doubt and that just wondering and all of those things. That's why it's so important that you understand this truth. I am adopted. I'm loved unconditionally. You see, it's also true that God loves us so much that he will even discipline us. We'll get to that in just a moment. But I want to give you three verses of Scripture today that you can hang your hat on, I believe. The first one's found in Philippians chapter 1, verse 6. I want to write these down. You listen as I read. You don't have to turn there. Philippians 1, 6 says, Being confident... Of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Who, whose work is it? Who began the work? Who? It's his work, right? It's the work that he's doing in us. So it's not based upon our performance and the work that we're doing for him. Okay, then in John, John's Gospel, chapter 6, verse 37, Jesus himself said this, All that the Father gives me will come to me. And the one who comes to me, I will by no means cast out. We're talking about a genuine conversion experience. We're not talking about a false profession. There's a lot of that today. In fact, I, I will tell you this. Uh, you, you, as long as I'm the pastor here anyway, uh, you will never come up here to Vacation Bible School and find that we're doing a mass altar call where we're saying all of you kids that want to get saved, today, all of you kids that love you, all of you kids that want to go to heaven, you come forward now. You understand that that concept, that, that, that methodology is, is a man-made methodology. All right. Now certainly there's an appeal. 
Certainly we present the gospel, but one of the reasons that we do not do that big mass, hey, everybody come over, is because you tend to have a lot of kids, especially, who are doing it because their friend's doing it. And because it's kind of an emotional thing, and oh my gosh, who doesn't want to go to heaven when they die? I mean, whoa, I mean, you know, and, but we could have tons of kids come forward, and you got all these kids, and we're just like, wait a minute, what? You, didn't, you come, didn't you do this last year at VBS? Oh yeah, you did, t- oh, you, you see what I'm saying? That's why it's so important to us when our kids come back from camp, for example, that I personally deal with each of those kids on a one-on-one level. We've had two or three kids baptized since Centra Kid Camp this past year, this past summer. And each of those kids have come with their families and sat down in my office and, and we've discussed salvation and we've discussed scripture and we've discussed what it means to be in Christ. That's very important to us. Because it's so easy to have a, a false profession or do something just based upon emotion and all of those sorts of things. And, and, I, and I'm, not, I'm not suggesting that, 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 that it's, you know, it, it's not important that we pray. It's not important that we, you know, all of those things. I, I, I understand that. But we want to make certain that, 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 that as best we can, certainly we can't judge their hearts. I, I, you know, I never will tell a child, oh, please God, I, I know, I know that you're saying, that, that, that's God's doing. But we want to make certain that they fully understand as best we can these important truths. In John chapter 10, it says this, verse 27 through 29, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. Some of you uh, may have been around. You might remember the construction of the Golden Gate Bridge in San Francisco. And you know that early in that process, there were over 20 lives lost. Men, I guess some women even, who fell to their deaths. It was a very dangerous task, a very dangerous job. And because different people had fallen to their deaths, it really slowed up the progress I mean, you can just imagine, I mean, because of the dangers that were inherent in, in, in building this bridge, I mean, the workers would work really slow and all of those things. And so uh, an engineer came along and he said, I'll tell you what we need to do. We need to build a safety net under these workers. And so when, when those who were responsible for the financial part of constructing this bridge, and they said, well, how much will this safety net cost? Well, it's going to be at least $100,000 to construct this safety net. And in that day, that was what, 1930-something, I think it was, that, that was a huge amount of money. I mean, $100,000 or more to, to put just, just for a safety net. But they went forward with it. They put the safety net there. Did you know that, that the death toll dropped dramatically, obviously, because of the safety net, but also production rose dramatically? Why is that? Because of the security factor. Because of the safety that was involved there. See, they could now function in a different way. And that's how it is in terms of our adoption. And that's how it is in terms of our relationship with Jesus Christ. If we're truly in Christ, then we can be secure in that. Not because I'm performing well. or or, or, Just because of what Jesus Christ has done on our behalf. So we live with assurance. Here's a second great truth. We repent with hope. The Bible says that, that God disciplines those that are his sons. His sons. 
In fact, one of the ways that you can know that you're in Christ is that you sense and have experienced the disciplining hand of God. I have people sit in my office and say, man, I just, I feel like the Lord's taking me to the, you know, to the woodshed. And part of me wants to say, that's good. That's, that's good. That's a good indication. That's a good indication that you're in Christ, that you're in right relationship with him. Because the Bible says, those whom he loves, he chastens. And I'm always a bit concerned when I hear people say, man, I, 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 I'm so far away from the things of God and I, haven't, I, I can't think of a time I've experienced any kind of, a, any kind of conviction really or any kind of, any kind of discipline on God's part. I, I was going to go, uh-oh, uh that, that, that's not good. That's not good. Several years back when I was, uh, I guess, about to be junior high age, a couple of buddies of mine and I, we, we were playing down at the end of our street and there was a culvert there. And when you went down in that culvert, the street was actually like eye level. And a lot of stuff would wash down into that culvert, of course, and pea gravel and different things. And, and uh, my buddies and I, we got the bright idea one day that we should grab handfuls of that pea gravel. And as cars went by, we should fling that pea gravel out and it would, it would clang against their hubcaps and stuff as they went by. And it would just be a really awesome thing to do. Yeah. Yeah, real bright. And so we did that two or three times, you know, and, and, and seemed, seemed like a, a good thing to do. And it was kind of fun. And, and we'd duck down, you know, and all this. And, and, and we, you know, there, people would kind of, you know, hit their brakes and, you know, wonder what in the world that was and everything. But then they would keep going. Well, well after about four or five minutes of that, we, we, we flung handfuls of rocks at the wrong car. We, we flung handfuls of rocks at an undercover police officer. N- n- not, not a good plan. N- not Not good. He didn't just put on his brake lights, he stopped, and he came back, and he grabbed us three boys out of that culvert, and he said, where do you live? It was not one of the best days of my life, let me just go ahead and put it that way. But, but here's the deal, my dad disciplined me, make no mistake about it. In fact, it's kind of a painful memory as I stand here before you today. I remember it rather vividly. All right, my dad disciplined me. Now, I had two friends with me. Do you think my dad disciplined them? Mm-mm. Mm-mm. Why? Because they weren't his sons. They belonged to somebody else. My dad disciplined me because I was his son. And that's a truth you need to take home with you today. That's why you need to repent with hope. Christians still struggle with disobedience. Oh, Lord knows we do every single day. And because we are in a relationship with God, he loves us so much that he will discipline us. But here's big truth. Big truth. This is worth writing down. Satan starts with what you did in order to tear down who you are. Satan starts with what you did in order to tear down who you are. But the Holy Spirit starts with who you are in Christ in order to repair what you did. That's huge. That's big truth right there. Let me say it again. Satan starts with what you did in order to tear down who you are. That's why he's the accuser of the brethren. He can come along and go, see, there you go again. There you go again. There you go again. Look what you did. Look at you. You failed again. Look at you. Uh, Look. It's like he's like a referee just constantly throwing the flag on you. 
He wants to start with what you've done so that he can tear down who you are and make you believe that you're not in Christ. To make you believe that you're not. See what I'm saying? That's the identity he wants you to live out of. So he starts with the things that we do in order to tear down who we are. But the Holy Spirit starts with who you are in Christ in order to repair what you've done. There's a vast difference. The Holy Spirit who indwells us says, hey, that's not something a child of God ought to do. But you're in Christ. And because you are in Christ, you can live out of a different identity. You can put off the old and put on the new. And we can repair what you've done by the grace of God, by the mercy of God. That can get fixed. That can get fixed. Satan wants to start with what you did in order to tear down who you are. The Holy Spirit starts with who you are in Christ in order to repair what you did. And then finally, pray with confidence pray with confidence what does it say back in our text Galatians chapter 4 because you are sons God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts crying out Abba Father pray with confidence coming before God coming before his throne confidence in what? confidence in who you are confidence in what you've done Confidence in your righteousness? Oh, oh, no. Confidence in the fact that he's your father and you're adopted into the family. A joint heir with Christ. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes for just a moment this morning. I hope that you know and understand the importance of that word adopted. Adopted. You're loved, you're cherished, adopted. You were sons and daughters of disobedience, but now adopted. Adopted under righteousness. Whose? Christ's righteousness. Because of that, we can live with assurance. Because of that, we can repent with hope when... God, by his Holy Spirit, convicts our hearts and chastises us and chastens us. It's all out of his love. And pray with confidence because I'm adopted. If you're here today and you've never placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, that's, that's where it all begins. We're not talking about a mere profession. There's a big difference between profession and possession. We've got a lot of professors today. But what about possessors? Do you possess that relationship with God through His Son, Jesus Christ? Or are you just a professor? Scripture describes that as just giving God lip service. It's like saying one thing, but in reality you're something else. It's saying that you're in a right relationship with God through Jesus Christ, but knowing all the while you're really not. If you've never taken that step of faith, turn from your sin to Christ. Would you do that today? And if you have made that decision and you know that you've placed your faith and trust in Christ, that you're in Him, will you live out of that identity as an adopted son or daughter in Christ? Live out of that identity. Live in that assurance. While we daily strive to be more like Christ, God's love for us is not based on our performance. That relationship doesn't change. 
because we're adopted. In just a moment, we're going to sing a song of invitation. And if God's speaking to your heart today, then I invite you to come. Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you for your word today. We thank you for the theological truth of adoption. Lord, I thank you that if we've placed our faith and trust in you, that we're adopted. Adopted into the family of God. If there's anyone here today that has never trusted you as Savior and Lord, I pray that today, by your Holy Spirit and the power of your word, they would be drawn to you. If there's anyone here today who, in their relationship with you, feels that they're on, on shaky ground, that somehow, some way, they're just not performing up to, up to par, I pray, God, that you confirm your relationship in their heart. Lord, do a work in our lives. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the teaching ministry of Queen City First Baptist Church. We invite you to come worship with us anytime you're near. We're located at 206 Marietta Street, Queen City, Texas. Visit us online at fbcqc.org.